Welcome back to another episode of Ramiumptum Ruminations. I'm the host, Scott. Today's very special episode is called Divinity and Gender with Michelle Larson. Thanks for coming back to listen to another episode of Ramiumptum Ruminations. I have a very special episode prepared today with a wonderful guest, and I'll I'll introduce her in just a moment. When I spoke at the recent Thrive event in uh, Portland, Oregon, I met this woman, Michelle Larson, and her talk resonated. It was so cool. Um, One of the things that she was she was discussing was the feminine divine and specifically her connection with the goddess Kali and this spirituality that she has found after deconstructing Mormonism. I don't want to steal the thunder, if you will, from her. So without further ado, Michelle Larson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Really good to be here. Before we get into why we brought you here, why don't you tell us a little bit about your life experience and and what brought you to this moment here where we're going to discuss the feminine divine. So um, I grew up Mormon and I grew up in quite a nuanced household. So um, we were really, we were, um, I would say the most important thing that we were taught is to challenge everything. So I grew up in this home where it was quite traditional. My dad was bishop and we would um, go to church every Sunday. You know, I kind of went through all the, all the, you know, all the steps, you know, like the young women's and I went on a mission and went to a church university. I went to BYU Hawaii. Okay. And so, you know, kind of went along that path, but it was always, it was like, I lived in this home where like Sunstone was really present. My dad was good friends with Chieko Kozaki. So she'd like come into the home and I just hear these like deep discussions happening. And <laughs> Now for our listeners, who's, who's Chieko? Chieko Kazaki. Yeah, she was, um, I think she was part of the general young women's presidency. Okay. But she was also this like really badass, like kind of um, revolutionary. She So she was, yeah, she's, she's originally Japanese American. Involved with Sunstone? No, I don't think she was ever involved in Sunstone, but she would, um, she just would write. And I don't know, like she was just, it felt like she was um, like fully part of the tradition. And also, again, like when I'd hear her speak, it felt revolutionary. Like she was talking about women in a way that felt new. Interesting. And talking about owning our spirituality in a way that felt like actually from the person, like almost like an, she, she spoke with this like inner authority and about inner authority in a way I didn't really like hear in other places. So I grew up in this home that had both tradition and this kind of like open dialogue about things that weren't traditional or almost like that, that could be challenged. Like, you know, I use this example of like, you know, at a really young age, um, 
noticing where men were included and where women weren't and really like challenging, you know, the people in my life and asking questions about that. And that was encouraged in my home. So um, deeply held tradition and also like really this, like a lot of room to explore within that. Fascinating. That's, that's very atypical. Most, most Mormons that grow up and, and are raised um, as members of the church, that is not their experience at all. Yeah. So that's, that's very unique to have, to have been given the ability to question and exist in a space where it was okay to doubt. Yeah. I mean, that, that's revolutionary. And maybe, maybe the church will get there eventually. Just not something that, that most of our listeners will, will have experienced. Yeah. And when you say okay to doubt, I would say not just okay to doubt, but encouraged to doubt really. And, but it was also like <laughs> held in like, you know, when I would question it, it was like, gosh, why, why I always got to ask all these questions. Like, for instance, I remember, um, again, it's like we did all the traditional things. Like I remember coming home from college one summer and our family went on a road trip out to Nauvoo. So we're like in Nauvoo and we're, at, you know, hopefully some of your listeners are familiar, but it's like, there's a lot of reenactment. You like, you go to this home where this happened and this building where this happened. And, and I, I remember like, being so angry and frustrated about how it's just like not one mention of polygamy. It was just like this, like fan fantasy of like <laughs> Joseph Smith and Emma with this like beautiful family. And I was, you know, just, and, and like spending so much energy having these discussions with my dad, my parents about like, like, this is crazy <laughs> that it's not represented here. I mean, that was the kind of um, upbringing that I had. And I think, um, because of that, it actually, like, you know, it's just been a, a part of my religious process, I would say, for the last 20 years. So, um, you know, then the, the, we're like having, you're like, find other people who have similar questions and you're talking about it. And, and then the blogger knackle starts and you're like, maybe I'm an agnostic Mormon. And you're like, maybe I'm just agnostic or, you know, that's kind of was the process for me. And I would say that that lately, I would say my real spiritual home, you know, I'm not really nourished by um, religion or, you know, what happens within the four walls of a chapel very often, because often it's, we're talking about about, you know, it's for instance, like, um, you might go to church and, and then maybe there, there's a talk about like, we need to share what we have with everyone, but we don't talk about what it is that we have, you know? So it's like, it's like yeah. some of that, you know, it's like, well, you might go, you know, for, for a month and no one's actually talked about like love or compassion or the thing that we actually have. We talk about talking about it. One of the things you said right there really stuck out. And I think a, a lot of our listeners, especially those listeners that do believe and are still attending, um, I've had many people reach out to me that they go to church, but they don't feel nourished. They don't feel like everything that's spoken there represents their beliefs and their values, but they go because it's comfortable. They, they love their friends and family that go and it's cultural, if you will, but they don't get that nourishment within the four walls. And so when you said that, like, Many people that I've spoken with, that is exactly what they have said. Mm -hmm. I think there's a real need for spiritual development in the community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whether someone, uh, you know, people have all kinds of reasons for why, they're why they'd stay or why they'd go. But again, like um, 
yeah, like for me, that that root is like finding spiritual nourishment. And and I, you know, what I what I believe about uh, religion, spirituality is that we are spiritual beings. Part of who we are is that we're spiritual beings. And there's this thing that's just beyond reach that I would call like spirituality. And then we have these like brains and these bodies and we try to make sense of that. And we make sense of it with our resources that we have, our words, our ideas. And we start to create structure around that. And stories around that. And that's how religions have been built from the beginning of time. All that is, is just humans with this innate sense of like, what is this thing that's unnameable? And then we try to do it and we create religions. And and there's beauty there because there's beauty in the intent that's behind like why, you know, that, that like who we are, which is, uh, you know, we, part of who we are is, is that we are spiritual. Someone who is deconstructing religion, the word spiritual might be triggering. <laughs> when you use the word spiritual, you need to find that because it probably doesn't mean what the members of the church mean when they say it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's so funny. Language is the trickiest thing. Um, it's yeah, we have uh, part of what I do. We have an organization. We have a company called Uplift, and we create resources to support um, the spiritual development of of, of kids. You know, kids outside of any religious tradition. We use wisdom traditions and modern science to create resource to gather resources for families. Um, to use to, you know, to kind of support that spiritual development. And it's so funny because we spend so much time there, like, what is spiritual? What is the word spiritual? And what does that development look like? Yeah. So even though it's like a topic of conversation we return to often, it's still a tricky question. (laughs) We have these physical bodies that we like can like touch. And we have these like ideas that are, you know, like, you know, they're like, they're kind of like thoughts. And, and then there's something that's beyond that. That's like, that for me, again, it's that unnameable, like transcendent or like, it's just, it's just the something, the something that again, for me, it's, it's like all, it's so many things. It's connection, whether it's connection, like human connection you know what, let's just like keep going. And then I think by my words and and what I share, maybe it'll point to what I'm pointing to when I say spirituality. The way I look at it, we have these two separate entities within each of us. Like you said, we have our physical bodies that you can touch and feel, but then we have our our reasoning minds that are separate almost Mm -hmm. from the bodies. Mm -hmm. And for me, spirituality is trying to integrate those two things. And trying to make them work together and be one. Mm. And that's, at least for me, that's how I look at spirituality mm. and, and the meditative practices that I incorporate in my life. Yeah, you're also pointing to um, <laughs> another tricky word. It's like our wholeness, you know, because I think <laughs> like it's connected to wholesome, which again, every, all these words have so many, so much um, baggage for us. So it's like any word I say, just insert the one that's pointing to what we're trying to point to <laughs> without being able to name it because words are mess it right up. But 
Yeah, that's like, I hear you talking about wholeness. And again, it's like we have our physical bodies, we have our thinking mind, we have, you know, we're intellectual beings, we're sexual beings, we're, you know, like physical beings, we're all of these things. And then there's something that is the isness of like what we are. So let's let's jump into the subject that we were going to discuss. And I wanted to go at length because the thing that stuck out to me in your your uh, talk that you gave at Thrive, you reframed the feminine divine in a way that I'd never I'd never seen before. This alternate definition of what the feminine divine might look like, and that was fascinating to me. And then you re- you related a story about being on an airplane and reading a book, and uh, I don't know if that's one that you intended on bringing up, but uh, <laughs> I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll get I'll get to some of those, but I'll I'll say that um, you know, I grew up with the feminine divine absent and yeah. and anything that included the feminine was always in relation to something else. It was like the companion or some of something or like it it was like almost like through this male gaze of otherness. So so for me actually even centering the feminine is like, again, it's like this revolutionary act. It's a, it's a revolutionary act in my own life. I mean, it's like, anytime we talk about the divine, my only access to that is through also my lived experience. I mean, we can reach out to the divine, but it's like, it's like, yeah, in my own life, women, it, it felt like we were in relation to men or to the patriarchy. Eve being created from the rib of Adam in one of the Genesis tellings. Yeah. Yeah. Like your access to the divine is actually through another man. You know, it's like everything is through the priesthood or through men. So for me, yeah, like actually coming across these, the feminine divine, it's like, we need mirrors. Like we, we need to see ourselves in order to even center ourselves. So that process has actually helped me center even myself in my own being by actually like having access to the feminine divine. Yeah. It's like the study of the feminine divine is actually the study of myself, which myself is just all of us. So, so yeah. And part of that was, is like um, also this embrace of like the masculine and the feminine. And, and for me, that's really, um, I, I have a teacher um, who, who, uh, um, he's created integral polarity practice. It's called IPP and it really works with polarities. So I'll just introduce polarities in just a little way, but this practice has helped me. Um, it's actually helped help bring some of the things in my life that are unconscious into consciousness. So like, for example, in polarity practice, you might take any given polarity, like for instance, one that was insight to me was like the individual and the collective. And that we, you know, um, in the, there's these pluses and minuses about the individual and there's pluses and minuses about the collective. Like um, in a collective, we feel like this companionship, we feel um, like we have support, but if we like are too enmeshed in a collective, we start to feel like suffocated. We start to feel like, Mm. you know, exhausted. Uh, The individual, you have like kind of like rest and you have like independence and creativity, but it, you know, too much independence leads to like loneliness, isolation. 
And so through something like polarity practice, I actually realized in my family of origin, it was so centered around the collective that, you know, through these kind of like these practices through polarity practice, I, I could map it out and see, or like through meditation, see like, oh, everything that's good about an individual I see as bad. So like, like I saw independence as selfishness. I saw rest as like, um, laziness. So it wasn't, it was like through this polarity practice that I could see there was a whole part, you know, so instead I would just like go up and down through the good and the bad of like a collective. And I could never reach over here into the, into the, like it's opposite, which is like so desperately needed in my life and anyone's life. So polarity practice helps, you know, that one of the principles of polarity practice is that actually instead of kind of like thrashing around between the good and the bad of both of these, that we actually, there's this still point where we can fully receive the fullness of, of any given polarity. And in that fullness, like that contains like access to just uh, to everything. And so for me, you know, it meant I'm, I'm not burning out. I'm not like working so hard that I'm like, why isn't anybody else working as hard as I am? Like, <laughs> oh, if you rest for a minute, then like actually, then you want to go back and be with a group, you know? So through that practice, that same principle for me applies to the masculine and the feminine. Like this is just and it's part of nature. These polarities are natural patterns that are happening. And we're, and we come in and we're like, we we're grow up and we have all these experiences that like block us from some of these. So. Well, we have our, the cultures that we've come from have actively blocked the feminine divine. Um, I mean, in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I mean, there's, we have a mother in heaven, but she's, almost ignored and eschewed to the side. And while there and present, we can't access her yeah. at all. Yeah. And we have, so she exists, but kind of just in theory. And then kind of on the flip side, if we're just going to look at Christianity as a whole, the Catholics do have a, a version of the feminine divine in the mother Mary and some of the saints that they do, they do interface mm -hmm. with uh, to a certain extent. So they do have access to a little bit of the feminine divine, but not it's not all the way there, even in these practices that you get in in some of the other Christian faiths. Yeah, I mean, my experience growing up was um, it was so disjointed because on the one hand, we're taught that women are so important. It's this false pe pedestal that women are put on where, you know, we're taught like we're so important, we're so special and yet don't have any power. No. So it's like, yeah. it's like so many things in the world, including some of the things within the church. It's like, it's built on the backs of women and, and it's, it's silent, you know, women are silenced. So yeah, I grew up with a silenced mother goddess, you know, like, like, um, she's so special. We don't speak of her. I mean, I use this example of like, um, when it comes to women in the priesthood, if the priesthood is, is like acts, you know, like power to act in God's name or access to some a God or divinity. Like that's just a natural to me. That's, that's something that we naturally have. I mean, then we have this organizational side of it, but you know, to be told like, Oh, well, women don't have the priesthood because they're just so naturally spiritual, you know, they don't need the priesthood. And, and there's something in that that's like, um, 
again, if we don't have the, if we don't have the power to actually use that within an organization or even our own lives. And there's this other piece of it too. That's like when I had children, you know, I think like I'd look at my like two-year-old son and think like, like, you know, don't say that because if you keep saying that he's going to believe it and it's not true. So for men and women, until we access the feminine divine, I think that the, that, um, the church itself or religions in general, when they can fully embrace the masculine and feminine, like it'll blow our minds. Like who knows what will happen when we actually fully live into the feminine and the masculine. Like, like I described, like when we find that still point or when we access that still point and we have access to the fullness, you know, then, then, I mean, that to me, that's, that's divinity. So, you know, for me, I I don't, um, uh, an embodied God anthropomorphized you know i don't know about that maybe maybe not there's an embodied god but but i do know that you know developmentally like for some people like that an embodied god with with like a physical body flesh and blood like that's really important for some people like the mm-hmm. idea of god is really important. Like the, the stories we tell and the metaphors, that's important for some people. Like they actually, to find themselves and their path, like they actually need to distance themselves from any kind of God, like all are good. All are just people figuring it out. But like, because there are so many people that actually do relate to a physical God, like having physical goddesses is also important. Like we, you know, we know, what the masculine God does and is. And there's so many traits in our masculine God, even in Christ that are also feminine, you know, it's like, it's all there. Um, but we need these representations. I think of, of like all types, because for me, really God itself, like it's non-binary. Like I don't actually gender and God, I think, um, there's something that's actually beyond that but we also need it. So it's like both, you know, integrating both, I think helps us get access to who we are. Many of the people in the post-Mormon community, um, I have listeners that are both believers, nuanced, and that have left or that are in with the spouse attending, even though they don't believe. But many people, and I would say the vast majority that I've spoken with that leave, they land on either agnosticism or atheism. And the whole concept of spirituality is off-putting to them. Myself, I, I identify as an agnostic. I find spiritual fulfillment in studying the myths. And I find this spiritual fulfillment in stories, in movies, and, and just everywhere I look. I, I can find things that will fill my soul and teach me the things that, that bring me closer to this oneness that we described earlier. It's really beautiful. And, and also like, I feel this like deep honor for everyone, wherever they are on their, on their own path, on their own journey. It's like, um, like, even if someone has distanced themselves from it, I also have deep honor for that, you know, whether that's for a time or forever, like I I value somebody who actually says, um, I need to not have this in my life. And what you're pointing to is, um, is actually, yeah, kind of this embrace of, I think about, it makes me think about archetypes. I don't know how, how, um, you know, that lands for you, but. I love Joseph Campbell. I've read 
just about everything he's published. So (laughs) that's, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. it's, It's great. So I think like, um, you know, the Greek root of archetype actually means original pattern. And I think there's something, whether we believe in a God or not, there's, there's like these patterns of being human. And, and there's something about, again, I don't know what you or your listening listeners, what resonates, but um, for me, like we, we see ourselves, like we tell these stories about who we are and we see ourselves as like the main character of, of our story. So we're telling these stories, we're the main character. And there's something about, again, this original pattern or these archetypes that connect us with like universal consciousness. And it, it can help get us out of our own experience to actually then also understand our own experience. So yeah. Yeah, we kind of like see ourselves through these mirrors and and these archetypes of like the god or the goddess, like they they actually connect us deeply to our deepest power. You know, whether that's like religious or not, it's it's something about like the kundalini, the like life energy of being human that when we can step outside of ourselves, like we have actually more access to that. Yeah. When I was first deconstructing, I found that stories just outside of, of religious context resonated with me in much the same way that the scriptures did when I was a believer. And I think that even, even someone who has completely left religion and God behind, when they're reading books or watching a show and they, they see that human interaction and they see this universal story, you know, the, the hero's journey, if you will, in all of these stories. The reason it resonates is because that's everyone's story. Mm-hmm. And, and even if you're not seeing it as in a spiritual lens, that's, that's spirituality when you're connecting with the rest of the world through this universal experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't get quite so caught up in our own ego, in our own story when we can connect to that. I said before, like divinity, like to me, ultimately, it kind of transcends our concepts of gender. And yet we also like whether it's male or female there again, there is also something about seeing these patterns represented. We've had so many you know, for thousands of years. It's actually been represented through um, masculinity and maleness. And so, yeah. you know, to actually see some of these through this, again, like really uniting this polarity of masculine and feminine, um, some of these, you know, these goddesses, these female figures of divinity have been really informative for me. You, you mentioned one of them is, is Kali, Kali. So the, this, um, Hindu goddess of Kali, yeah, I think the feminine that has been represented in a lot of religious, you know, you, you mentioned the Catholic, you know, like um, the Catholic saints, the Mother Mary and the saints, yeah. And and in some ways, it's funny, like growing up, <laughs> um, Mormon, you know, there's like, there's like this, um, you know, we've got it, we've got the stuff. These other religions, they don't really have the stuff. <laughs> They're worshiping saints; they don't have the truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was crazy for me when I actually, you know, realized the ways that there's like a saint for headaches. There's a saint for grief, for loss. It's like, you know, it's like, actually, there's something really beautiful about the way that, you know, that that particular organization or religion has has integrated 
part of it was was when they would when um, the Catholic Church would spread to a new area, they would incorporate whatever local deities and then like re- rename them and then create holidays around the same time. And so they they were going around gobbling up these other gods <laughs> from these other cultures. And and like you said, it's really cool that they have incorporated all these different types of deities in the form of saints. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that there's so many women represented. Yes. You know, that there are men and women that access like male and female saints. So So there's actually something quite beautiful there. So we live in a patriarchal society and we have for thousands of years in the Judeo-Christian world, God has been this masculine form, this masculine entity. And the the feminine has, has been missing for women, but it's also something that men need as well. In my own life, um, you know, growing up Mormon, I, I felt like there was... Um, you know, these gender roles that were prescribed to us. And, and I had, you know, I, I, I went to call, you know, graduated with my undergraduate, um, worked, started having children right away. And we started building these businesses, my husband and I, and some family members, you know, three kids later. And my husband is, is like, he's, he's so busy in our businesses and I'm, you know, I'm like chasing kids around working part-time with our, with our companies and feeling quite suffocated as a, as a mom. And also like, I could never quite access and and do the work I really wanted to do. And so at, so about that time when my youngest was about six months old, um, my husband and I like had a conversation and we actually switched roles. So my husband, um, who's actually much more suited to, to run a household than I am, um, we switched roles. And so, and, and it was so liberating for both of us, like the liberation for me of like building a business. It's just, I'm so well suited for that. And for him, you know, like he was so happy at the end of the day to like have cleaned the house and like made a meal for us and like been with the kids. (laughs) It was so soothing for his soul. And, And like, so, you know, like if we didn't feel empowered and that was a hard shift, like everything was against us to make that shift. But if we hadn't felt empowered to make those decisions, like, like he could fully become himself and I could fully become myself because we actually like let go of everything and said like, what works for us? What are we going to do? Yeah having access to what is the feminine and divine or what is the feminine and masculine. And then just like letting go and living into that in the way that's ours to live into. But again, because we we've been kind of saturated and flooded with the masculine, um, we actually, we, we need to like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna embrace something if there isn't power there, you know, if there, if we don't see the power of it. So again, until we like see the work that has traditionally been women's to do, we don't want to embrace that if it's not seen as worthy or whole or or just like, like, you know, if it's not, if it's not empowered. So by actually empowering these, like both sides, you know, masculine and feminine, then we can live into who we're supposed to be without, you know, so again, infuse, I mean, I think there'll be thousands more, you know, thousands of years more before the work that women have done is seen as 
as um, having worth, you know, the fact that women don't make as much money as men, there's just, and not in a way to like judge what it's been, but just to say, oh, there's, there's still an imbalance. So um, I think, I think for men, whether you, you know, like, I don't think men need to study the feminine divine, but but I think by by actually like if they are drawn to that, like um, they're actually coming home to themselves. All of us are coming home to our, ourselves and we have so much access to the masculine. So we actually do need to find ways to incorporate the feminine. I think there are a lot of elements of the of deity that we ascribe to masculine or feminine mm-hmm. that are just cultural mm-hmm. that have nothing to do with what is innately masculine or innately feminine. Something like housework or dishes like that has nothing to do with being a woman or a man. You know, those are just things that you need to do to keep your house up. Yeah. But we incorporate them, we incorporate our culture and the way we view men in society and women in society, we project those identities onto deity. Mm-hmm. And suddenly the the heavenly mother becomes, you know, the heavenly household keeper <laughs> and the heavenly, and you know, the heavenly father is the heavenly breadwinner, you know, yes. we're, we're projecting these ideas of our culture onto them. You know, if we go back 2000 years, the idea of deity of masculine and feminine is going to be influenced by whatever culture is talking about them. The way I look at this, if you truly want to understand it, you need to strip your cultural lens from deity before you can really even begin to understand it. Mm Yeah. So at this point, again, I, I don't know, um, these can, because language is so layered and, you know, it's just like infused with our cultural experience. Um, even at this point in what, in our conversation, you know, I have this question around the way that people might even be triggered about the words of masculine and feminine. And, and, and I just want to say, like, as I say, those words are actually outside of gender. I'm actually not talking about men and women. I'm talking about these patterns of like, you know, the, like the masculine, um, you know, like, like it might be more linear where feminine might be more circular, like masculine might be more assertive and, and feminine might be more receptive. And that has nothing to do with men and women. These are just, these are just like, uh, like patterns and energies that move in us as humans. So I I just want to like, make sure we're not getting caught up on like, like what you just said, like this is outside of gender. And, and, you know, even though these, like we infuse our, you know, our gods and our goddesses with these gendered words and and experiences it's actually it's it's when i say masculine and feminine it has nothing to do with that these are just um patterns and energies that's that's not something that i had ever been presented before but i think i think innately i understood that but i just had never put words to it like that yeah and and i think and i think like it has to do with power too because you know I, you, you think about like again masculine energy is going to be more direct it's going to be more like um like again linear where feminine energy might be more like somewhat swirly and chaotic and then and then we like take our cultural thinking around that and we say like then it, when when we 
don't really honor masculine and feminine and we infuse it with our experience, we might say something like, oh, women are like, they're so chaotic and they're like, you know, like, just like say your thought. And then we might say like, well, women are men are they're just really intellectual and they're, you know, and, and what we're actually really talking about is something everyone has access to, which is just an energy of like, you know, directness or, you know, kind of more like, um, circular motion, you know, it's like, these are elements that we all express. Mm-hmm regularly and you know to one degree or another one maybe more feminine one more masculine but these are elements inside all of our all of our personalities yeah yeah it's something we all have access to all of these things and and we without unconsciously we might actually limit ourselves from some of them because of the way that culture has ascribed meaning and value to those traits specifically you know in the culture the men are supposed to act you know, one specific way and the women are supposed to act, you know, another specific way. And these line up with the, you know, the feminine and the masculine. Yeah. And uh, like, it's so limiting on a person to develop and become their full selves. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something mm-hmm. that I struggled with for a long time growing up because mm-hmm. I just the kind of toxic masculinity present in, in our culture. Mm-hmm. I never felt like, like this masculine energy represented me all the way. Mm-hmm. You know, I never experienced gender, you know, dysphoria, Mm -hmm. but I just didn't feel like the image of the alpha male was me. You know, at least growing up, I was told, you know, this is the type of person that you're supposed to be. And and just I just didn't resonate with that. But not in a way where where I resonated and wanted to be a different gender, but I just didn't feel like this masculine energy was the full depiction of the person that I am. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it really comes into play around emotions and like showing emotion. And like, I mean, there's studies that have been done, like, you know, children up until they hit kindergarten, like, like they actually can, they, they like express emotion in a really similar way. And then they hit kindergarten and like, you know, it's like somehow somewhere with no words being spoken, men are taught, like, it's not okay to cry, you know, and like crying is seen as a feminine and a female thing to do. And yet, like, like, what do, what do we do if we've, if we've enculturated a whole part of society to say like, Hey, it's not okay to express emotions in these ways, or even anger, like anger is such a beautiful thing, like masculine and feminine anger. It's like, it's like, well, I know I'm not supposed to like just outrage, you know? So for a man, they're like, I don't even know what to do with my anger because I either hold it inside or I burst it out, you know? And like, and then women, like they, they're taught like, well, I'm not supposed to be angry. And so instead it turns into like, it it comes out sideways. It turns into like sadness when like, oh, I'm just sad. Like, no, you're actually angry. You know, like it's okay to express anger. So again, when I, again, I go back to polarities, like when we can live into the fullness of who we are, like we, we're not like shoving down the emotion of, of like cry, like, if, you know, it's like we can cry when we need to cry. If we can be angry and let that burn through, like, you know, that will actually let us live into who we're supposed to be. This has been a fascinating discussion. I am loving where this is going. I still have so many more questions. I want to go, I want to dig a little bit deeper onto this feminine divine and, and introduce the listeners to some examples of, of the feminine divine so that they can incorporate them and understand this, this other energy better. 
So I'd love to have you on next week. We'll chat a little bit more. Thank you so much, Michelle, for coming. This has been a pleasure. <laughs> it's just been great to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah. Is there anything that you want to plug before we say goodbye for tonight? Um, I mean, I really, I, I am on here as, you know, just like Michelle, the individual, but I do, I do want to um, just say, you know, I, I reference polarity practice and there's um, the work of John Kessler and his work with uh, integral polarity practice. And, and um, I, I've, I've actually learned about that through um, one of my colleagues, friends, and teachers, um, Thomas McConkie, and um, him and Gloria Pack have uh, started an organization called Lower Lights. And it's actually through that that I've actually really had access to polarity practice, which has really, again, opened me up to something like the um, masculine and feminine and embracing these, you know, all the extensive um, uh, poles of, of any given opposing, you know, like the yin and yang or the, um, yeah. the polarity. So I, I, I just, I have, I have found so much acts that when we talk about like spiritual nourishment, you know, it's these types of practices that I've been really nourished in these communities. So lower lights. Um, okay. yeah, it's been a, a great place for me to really grow into my own well, awesome. Thank you so much for coming today, and we will see you back on the show next week. Great. Thank you. So that concludes the chat that I had today with Michelle Larson. She's a fantastic woman. I hope that you enjoyed our chat and perhaps learned a thing or two and a new way to look at the relationship between gender and masculinity and femininity, the fluid nature of, of masculine and feminine. And as I said at the end of the interview, we didn't touch everything that I wanted to chat about. So we will bring Michelle back onto the show next week. Into We're going to dive deeper into the feminine divine. We're going to discuss some of the divine female characters in myth from around the world. It is going to be an incredible discussion. So thank you so much for tuning in. And I hope that you all have an excellent day. Day.